Hi, it's David from the Dead Daisies and you're watching CMS TV. John Karabi from uh, the album Unplugged. That was Crash. And here to talk all about, uh, not that album, I'm assuming, but about his tour that he's on right now and about the Dead Daisies and about just everything going on. It's this guy right here. It's Mr. John Karabi. What is up, sir? <laughs> Great to see you, John. <laughs> Cannot hear you, my friend. Cannot hear you. I don't know why. Oh, he's out. He's going to come back. Okay. Hi again. But there he was. That looked like a Monsters of Rock Cruise footage there. <laughs> he's probably backstage at a gig. Are you there? Can you hear there me? There we go. Is. There yeah. he is. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I, this, this whole streaming thing, I, it's weird. It was working fine. I could hear you guys say, I'm going to play another song or play a song, and then we're going to bring John on, and it just went, whoop, no sound. <laughs> Well, we got you now, which is great, man. So, John, are you're you there? I just lost you again. No, I, we're here. We're here. Hello. He's a little locked up. Damn it! But at least it, it locked up where he looks cool. It's like a, it, he wasn't like, <laughs> <laughs> you well, know. <laughs> oh, right. there he goes. He's on the move. Better lighting too. Can you hear us? Nope. Well, this is, <laughs> he'll find a spot. He's good. We'll he's spot, looking for yeah. somewhere where he's got more bars. Yeah. I'm just stoked. He showed up. That's good. I am too. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, yes sir. We can. Can hear you. Can see you. Can you hear us? No. <laughs> Damn it. I think you put the phone in his guitar case. Locked up again. Damn it. <sighs> ah, I love live TV, live radio, whatever this is. Well, we'll get them here in a second. It happens to the best of us. I know. It's At least we didn't get stood up again because my heart true. couldn't take it, man. <laughs> Let's try this again. Here we are. <laughs> 
don't move. Everything's fine, and then it just shuts off. Don't move. We'll, we'll 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 try and get through here. Well, dude, it's great to talk to you once again, man. You're you're obviously on the road uh, out there with Winger and with uh, Tom Kiefer. How's that going? It's been great. Um, we're just kind of getting started. We've done maybe uh, six or seven shows. Uh, we're playing in Long Island tomorrow, uh, so we all have a day off today. Um, but we're hitting the pretty much the entire East Coast, and then we're heading west. And I do this till August 18th, and then I do laundry on the 19th, and the 20th I head out into Daisy Land. Okay, there you go, perfect. So, so let let's let's talk a little bit about. Uh, well, let's talk about the old days first. I want to show you a picture. If you can, you can see us on the screen. Yep. I'm going to show you a picture. That is not going to do either one of us any favors, me or you. <laughs> but this is this is a picture of you and I in 1990-whatever union was. Ish. Yeah, whatever union was. Neither one of us is recognizable. Me with my horrible mullet. You with your, um, I don't know, your gas station attendant suit on. But uh, let's, let's see if you remember this. Do you remember this? <laughs> This horrible picture. Chris, is that a mullet? It sure is. It's awful. That, awesome. That is, uh, that is an impressive mullet, my friend. <laughs> and that is a gas station suit. <laughs> that is. And you had like the goggles or something on the top. I don't know. They, I, yeah, I, I don't know what I got going on there. I can't really see it that well. But I, <laughs> I, I do remember that that gas station suit. That was my getting ready to drive probably 18 hours to the next gig suit. Right. So, <laughs> too that, funny that, uh, that is definitely an impressive mullet i can yeah. see that clearly <laughs> it, it it it's it's the horror of my life it really is <laughs> but but whatever we all we all did things we're not super proud of and that haircut was definitely one of them but yeah, yeah and you know what's even crazier is that it's it's actually coming back oh not mm -hmm. on this head no yeah. it ain't <laughs> is this in the front party in the back right yeah I my wife is a hairstylist, and she's telling me that all these guys now are coming in and like, yeah, man, I'm going to call it. And she's like, what? No, I am, I am not doing this. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like asking for a bad tattoo or something, like where the artist refuses. <laughs> right. Yeah. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And one other quick question, then we will get into your real stuff. You obviously have a book out, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, which, you know, which is a great read. People should definitely check it out and read it, and we will talk about that a little bit. But I don't know if you even remember this, but several years ago, I wrote a book about the 94 record. And every, it's right here, you can, if you can see it. Somebody gave it to, somebody gave it to me. I mailed it to you. You gave me your your wife's address yes. to the to yes. the beauty salon, and I mailed it to you. Yes, but I get probably whenever you're on tour, I get twenty thirty pictures a tour of people holding this book, and you and asking you to sign it. So I guess my question is: Is this book driving you insane that you have to keep signing this thing that you really, you know, really didn't no. write? Oh. It's, 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 it's all good, dude. I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty, pretty easygoing. Um, 
you know, I'll sign just about anything right. that anybody puts in front of me, you know what I mean? Except for a check or a penis, but whatever. Um, <laughs> An out of the cellar but, record? No, I was actually, it was funny because I saw it and I'm like, you know, somebody showed it to me. They're like, oh, dude, this book. And you sent it to me and I looked at it and I kind of forgot about it. And, right. you, know, I, I, it's, you know, I started signing them again and. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, what do you think of the book? And I'm like, it's, yeah, it's great. Somebody's acknowledging the 94 album. I just appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm going to get you to sign one here in three weeks when you're here in Cleveland or in Akron. I'm okay. Cause I, I don't have one signed yet. So I need to get one signed. So, <laughs> well, I will do that. Very good, man. Well, dude, let's talk about the obvious, hugest news in your world right now. Back to the dead daisies. Um, when you left, it seemed like it didn't seem bad, but it seemed like you were not real happy at the time. Obviously, no, I, it seems like things are better. Yes. No, no I, I, I can't say that I wasn't. It wasn't that I wasn't happy. I love being in the band. I thought the music we did, we did was, you know, it was great tunes. It was a fun vibe. You know, it was just uh, that those and not to sound weird, but you know, the Daisy, like I, I, when I joined the Daisies and we did that first album, something happened and just started to explode. And we started like, it was like do a record immediately go out on tour. And it was like tons of, of touring. I mean, it, it was really crazy. So from a scheduling point of view, it was a little maniacal and, I just started to feel burnt out. Okay. We were doing a, we would do a record, you know, and, and you have to remember like, because of everybody's schedules, most of the time we did a record, we would go into the studio with really just some riff ideas, no completed songs, but we would usually write, record mix master do all the artwork in like three to four weeks five weeks so that was pressure and then immediately go into press mode and then tour right and it was like it it started to become and it wasn't just me it was like everybody everybody was really burnt out that last tour that we did and and I just felt like everybody was starting to walk on eggshells around each other. We were just tired. Right. And I, I told the guys, like, I wanted to get off the carousel for a minute. My son was obviously in my ear, too, telling me I sucked on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he moved to Nashville to be in my solo band, and we weren't doing squat. Right. Um, so I, I just... I you know, took a break in 2019. I was busier than shit. Um, I had uh, a ton of solo gigs. I went out with my son. We played in Australia. Like, uh, we did some stuff in Canada, South America. And then, uh, we did do some shows in America as well, but, uh, then COVID hit and I remained good friends with David Lowy. We were always constantly sharing joke memes to each other. Sure. Uh, I was always talking to Doug, Dean. I still talk to, you know, Dean quite often. Uh, sure. Richard Portis, everybody. Um, you know, so there was no real bad blood. It was just I was tired. 
And I think now with this, with me coming back, we've all kind of realized like we we had a good thing going. Uh, the 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 band was kicking ass. Um, we want to get out. We want to tour. We want to do records. But we've all kind of figured out how to do it in a fun manner where we don't kill ourselves right in the process and that was a big thing for me like i was just concerned about my voice um, right again if you break a guitar string or a drum head it can be changed i can't do anything if i blow out my voice and there was right. i mean we were doing acoustic sets and two hour sets a night like five six seven eight ten days in a row and uh i remember one day we did two festivals on one day okay and this is this is getting this is getting maniacal. Right. If it was up to you, John, how many shows would you play a year with these guys? If it was like John, tell us what how many you want. How many you want? No, you know, it, it, it's not about how many in a year. It's just I, I'll play, I'll play all the time. I don't care. The thing for me was like I and I think one of the things was I had to go go away from the dead daisies, catch my breath. And then really sit and look at it, especially through the COVID, COVID years. Um, like I, I had to sit and look at the positives of that band. And I think, you know, to be honest with you, having somebody like Glenn Hughes, who's amazing, come into the band. But Glenn set some, he, he set some ground rules. He said, like, I'm, I'm going to do two shows and I need a day off. Okay. And I think now they've kind of figured out, like they figured out that maybe, maybe I was a little overworked and I've kind of figured out. So the separation did everybody good. And when I sat down, I had dinner with David Lowy. Uh, that was the first thing that David said to me. He goes, look, I want to go out. I want to have some fun again with you. And, but I don't want to kill ourselves and, and burn ourselves out to the point like we were doing before. And I sure. go, count me in. I'm in. Like, that's all I need to hear. You know so what I you mean? Didn't, so you didn't have like an actual, this is what I'm willing to do? Because let, let's face it, part of the reason that you were playing like that was because the band was rising. The band was right on the cusp, but jump into that next level with Burn It Down. And that's when you guys were going 100 miles an hour. Right. And, you know... I, it, it was just, it was just, I just remember being at the Roxy in LA and looking around the room and Marco was tired and Dean was burnt out. Doug was burnt out. The management was burnt out. Hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, it was probably over, I, I don't even remember what it was, but I had like a minor, minor hissy fit backstage and I just kind of was like you know what I'm done I, I, I gotta get off of this carousel for a minute and catch my breath and there was no bad blood they were like okay uh, alright if that's what you want to do you know right. what I mean uh, it's always been kind of an open door policy way with collective so, um, you know what we all grew, we're all older now we're wiser um, and you know like I said earlier, I've learned to figure, I've learned to appreciate, uh, 
I, I've learned to appreciate a lot of things about the Ned Daisy, and I think that they've learned to appreciate a lot of things about John Karabi. So I had dinner with David Bowie, and we just we just said, you know, he said, do you want to come back? And I okay. you know, just burnt. Right. Burnt so, so who made the initial contact? Were they thinking about moving away from Glenn and they called you, or did you want to get back so you called david and said hey let's sit down for dinner who made that who made that move no i i think it was just you know i i don't know what the situation with glenn if he said you know i'll come here for two years or three years or i don't know what his uh his agreement was with that but from everything i've believe he decided that he wanted to get back out with black country and he wanted to go out and he wanted to do the purple shows again right. um and be boss you know what i mean so uh, once I, it was so weird because i made an announcement that doing the purple shows and be, and bands like we're losing you, John. We we lost my cat knocked audio. into something. We lost your audio. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't know why. No, you're good. Oh, there you are. Now you're there. You are. Oh, maybe my maybe my hand was on the bottom of the phone, but okay. Uh, uh, I think Glenn just he made an announcement that he was going back to uh, do the Deep Purple shows, right? And all the fans started reaching out to me, uh, and then shortly after that. Uh, David Lowy called me and he said, I want to come to Nashville and I want to have dinner with you. And okay. I, okay, so we got together, we had a nice steak dinner, a couple cocktails and we just sat and we started bullshitting and laughing about a bunch of stuff. Um, and he said, you know, I would love for you to come back if you're up for it. And I said, yeah, you know, it's, and, and then, like I said, he told me right out of the gate that they're going to tour but they've kind of figured out like how to maximize the touring in spurts where okay. it's go out for like three weeks or a month and then come home and rejuvenate and then get back out again. So I was like, yeah, that, that sounds great. Cause I mean, we were literally like we would do a record in a month and then we were gone like right. months on end. And it was just a lot, you know, so right all good, dude. It's all I know is I'm excited to be back. We got together a couple of weeks ago and rehearsed and it okay. sounded awesome. We immediately got fell into the, you know, the joking and the kidding around with each other. And, and we got right into that. And, um, you know, so it was like I never left. It was awesome. So you guys are going to I know you said that you're going to get back into Daisy's mode uh, middle, like late, later next month. Is that to make a record? Is that, I know you have tour dates, but is that for touring or is, is that to kick some ideas around or what? No, I mean, to be honest with you right now, dude, like, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're doing some, we're doing some obvious songs from John Stevens, Glenn Hughes era. We're doing a bunch of my stuff, but some of these songs, like we're all learning again. Uh, okay. You know, songs like, uh, I'm trying to think of one offhand, uh, make some noise. Yeah. 
they never played that with Glenn. So it was like get into the room and go, what did I do there? Oh, yeah. Right. So it, it, right now we're just really focused on uh, promoting the new record, the best of. Okay. And just really kind of blowing the dust off of a lot of this material and putting a kick-ass show together. Um, and to be honest, the hardest part for me is trying to figure out how to sing Glenn stuff in in a in, in a manner that kicks ass and the song still has the integrity. Obviously, I sound nothing like Glenn Hughes. Right. So I just want to make sure that whatever I sing, I do it justice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So right now, it's like we did one week of rehearsals about a month ago. And uh, I have a little break in this Tom and Winger tour uh, mid-July. So I'm going to fly out to New York, do another week of rehearsals, and then finish the tour, and then immediately go up and hopefully... We'll have the set all sorted, kick ass, and and uh, you know I come back, I can study while I'm on the road, and and then uh, just get right on the road and start having fun again. Very good, man. Well, dude, let's let's talk about the, let's transition to the book a little bit. Horseshoes and hand grenades. Uh, as someone that writes books, and I write about myself, which is much different than you, obviously, but it is incredibly hard to put personal stuff in a book. Not not so much to write it, but to let people hear it, you know, and let people make judgments about what you say or think. And you certainly don't shy away from that, man. Was was that something that you ever worried about? Or, hey, I can't tell this story, or I shouldn't tell that one? Or did you just say, fuck it, I'm doing it? Well, there was a few that I, you know, obviously Paul helped me immensely with the book, Paul Miles. Mm-hmm. And I had told him some stories. And then when he kind of put it into like a rough book form and uh, it, there was a few where I, I sat back and I, I read it and I went, yeah, maybe I shouldn't tell that story about my second <laughs> life, <laughs> whatever. So there was a few that I, I pulled out of it, but you know what, dude, I, I, I'm, I, I'm an open book. I, I don't really give a shit. Like, you know, I, I, I really truly firmly believe that you wake up every day, you try to do your best, you know, try and get through it, try and get through the day without, you know, intentionally keyword, right. screw anybody over. And if you do, you apologize, you know, and I don't really have any regrets. There's some dumb shit that I did when I was young. And, uh, but, you know, half of the shit that I've done made me who I am today. And I don't really, you know, whatever, there it is. It's like, here, read this. You know what I mean? Right. I don't care. I didn't, I didn't overthink it. Okay. Makes sense. Well, well, here, here's one thing I, I'm, I'm curious if you regret, and I don't know. I don't know if you do or not, but do you regret that you've all of a sudden become part of this whole Motley Crue nonsense again, which, you know, you haven't been in the band in a zillion years. I mean, love the record. We there's, there's 20 million of us of, of which I guess only 1% bought the record, but there's 20 zillion that call it the greatest record ever. But now you seem to have gotten sucked back into the whole Motley Mick Mars thing. And I know it's probably just you sticking up for your friend, 
But do you wish that you had just kind of been like, yeah, that's none of my business anymore? No, you know, honestly, dude, I, I've, I've dealt with, I've dealt with the criticisms, you know, I've dealt with the, you know, it's funny. It's like, I'll do an interview to promote, uh, you know, a new song that I have or a new record that I'm doing with the dead daisies or a new tour or whatever. Mm -hmm. And somebody will ask me a question again. I'm an open book. You got a question. I'll answer it. The only time I'll give anybody any shit about anything is if the entire interview tends to be about a certain thing. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, seriously, I have a new song out. I have a new book or a new record or whatever. Like, I don't really want to spend 98% of the interview talking about that. Um, But I get into trouble in London and I don't really care. Somebody asked me a question and they said, you know, what do you think about it? Was right after the statement came out from mm-hmm. Motley. Right. And I was at a book signing and it was a QA. And one of the fans said, What do you think about this issue yeah. with Nick? Mm-hmm. And you could say whatever you want. I'm just telling you my perspective of something. I was asked a question, answered it, and all I said was, that statement was prepared by Motley Crue and their management. Right. I haven't heard from Mick. I haven't heard anything from Mick. Right. Until I hear a statement from Mick, I don't believe a word of it. Right. And I got it all kind of shit. You know, all these fans are like, oh, the guy got nothing better to talk about. He's still talking about Motley Crue and how they fired. 30 years ago. And I'm like, dude, I was asked the question. I don't give a shit whether you like it or not. Like it, it's just, if I'm asked a question, I'm going to answer it. And as right. it turns out now I have fans go, well, what's your take on the, everything going on with Motley and Mick? And my pet answer now is I don't dive deep into anything. I just say it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, no, and, and that makes sense. And, and I mean, they've done, and again, I don't want to get into a pissing match about Motley Crue, but they certainly didn't do you any favors either with the shit portrayal of of your time in the band in the dirt. That was, I ain't gonna lie, that was shitty. As as a fan of the of the '94 record, which I will openly say is the only record that I still listen to that says Motley Crue on the front, you know, that was just shitty. The way they made it look like you were playing in front of twenty three people in a ten thousand seat arena. That was just I- shitty. And that was my big beef, you know, once I saw the Netflix, I like I, to be honest with you, I had talked with Mick uh, earlier before it even came out. And for some apparent reason, Mick just, he's like, hey, dude, um, I hope you're well. Uh, you know, he told me something about the net Netflix movie. And I said, oh, cool. You know, he goes, unfortunately, you're not in it. So I assumed I wasn't in it at all, which I was right. fine. I was like, you know what? Let them, whatever, let it be about the four guys. Mm-hmm. It's fine, whatever. Uh, and then I, so I sat down to watch it. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, they got this guy portraying me. And the thing that just irked me was the same thing. It looked like they were going into high school gymnasiums and playing the <laughs> 
20 people where you can clearly see a hundred videos on YouTube mm -hmm. like, yes, the attendance was horrible. I'm openly stating it was horrible, but it was not like that. Right. No, it, it was, it was a bad portrayal. I mean, I, I saw the tour when you played here in Cleveland at the Nautica stage and it was sold out. There was no horrible attendance that night. You guys sold every ticket in the room. So, you know, I, I can only speak for that one, but that was in, the one show I saw. In, in contrast to what they had done prior, mm -hmm. you know, they sold 2,000 tickets at the Nautilus and, you know, five years prior played the basketball arena and sold 18,000. Yeah. So I, I get it. You know, it is what it is. I have, again, I have no regrets. I love the record. The time that I spent with the guys doing the first record was awesome, and I'll never forget it. Right on. I um, hear you, man. You know, and, and if I can be, like, kind of frank about it, yeah. having done the Motley Crue thing, I think has actually given me, you know, a little more longevity in my career than maybe the next guy. So... I'm cool with it all. I don't really give a shit. But if somebody asks me a question, you can bet your ass I'm going to give you an honest answer. Right on. You've been in both bands. You've been in Molly and Rat, which that's something we have in common. Both haven't played for Stephen Piercy, me going on my 23rd year. But our lives were kind of running parallel there for a bit in the early 2000s. Yes. Pretty much playing the same circuit. But you on guitar, surprisingly. Like not to go too far back in the time machine, but what was going on with you at the time to like take a break from singing and, and playing guitar? Was that just something you just felt you wanted to do for that moment? Or I wasn't really taking a, I was, you know, honestly, after having done the scream, I don't even know if this is going to make sense to anybody, but when you start a band or when you're in a band, like, I mean, even Motley, like I, I was, you know, a lot of people don't want to accept it, but I was a fourth member of the band. Right. Oh, yes. You know, after doing The Scream, after doing Motley, after doing Union, uh, you know, you go out and you do these shows and every night you're not just worried about putting on a great show, but you're also worried about how many tickets did we sell? How many records did we sell this week? How many T-shirts, you know, how many, you know, how, like, you know, are, are the hotels cool for the next city? And there's all this stuff that you're worried about. And when the rat thing came along, it was just a way for me to continue playing music and not worrying about all that shit. If I can be completely frank, yeah. it was great. I would literally walk on stage. I had next to me on, on stage, I had a uh, an amp case with my two heads in it. I had a bottle of Jameson, a, a couple of cold Guinness, and an ashtray with a cigarette. And I did my shows. I did my thing. I did my backing vocals. And then Friday they handed me a check and I was like, okay, kind of awesome. <laughs> right? You know, it was, I was still traveling. I was still playing music and, but I was like, 
not having to worry about all the extra right. bullshit. I'm thankful for the study gig myself. <laughs> yeah, it was a little mental, kind of a mental break, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I was still writing songs on my own. Uh, I was still doing, you know, I was still singing with some cover bands and just for fun and different things. Like I had a side band with Billy Duffy and Jerry Cantrell called the Cardboard Vampires and, you wow. know, the Angel City Outlaws, Bobby Blotzer and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was still doing other things, you know what I mean? But I just, that gig, that was like my main gig. And I just took a mental break from all the business. Right. Very good, man. Well, John, we're going to let you go because I'm sure you're busy to go. And we got another band that's going to be coming on shortly after. Uh, definitely, everybody should go out and get the best of the Dead Daisies. I think it's just called Best Of. Um, it's a great collection. If you're, it's, a, it's an especially great collection if you're not familiar with the band yet. Because you can really... You can really wrap your head around everything that has been a decade of this band, including mostly John, who's who I think has the most records in the band. Um, but um, John, uh, we're going to end with um, what are we going to end with? We are going to end with make some noise. And uh, where should we tell people to go to uh, to keep up with you online or socials or wherever? Well, they can go to the obvious uh, www.thedeaddaisies.com. Okay. And go to johnkarabi.com. And uh, everything's there for the taking. There you (laughs) go. But please spend some money. Buy something, people. Please help these guys out. (laughs) Yes. There we go. All right, John. Well, we're going to play Make Some Noise. As always, the great John Karabi. Thank you so much, dude, for joining us. Thanks, John. Awesome, brother. Sorry about the technical. Oh, it's all good, bro. Not at all. We're, we're glad you came and, on. And bring your book to Ohio. I will definitely do that, man. I'll see you then. All right, boss. See all right, you. boss. See it. Make some noise.